Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ben Jarofsky here, back for more bonus Ben Jarofsky. And, uh, you know, this morning I woke up and I saw a headline in the Sun-Times, home delivered as always. Uh, Smollett case, files remain sealed. Actor has not yet sought expungement. It was written by Andy Grimm, the uh, criminal courts reporter for the Sun-Times. I said to myself, I got to have Andy Grimm on the show to talk about uh, this case from start to finish. Or it's not finished yet, Andy, uh, from A to Z where we are now. So uh, I quickly got on my phone, texted Andy. It was ungodly early hour of the morning, but you were up already. Give you credit for that, Andy. And so here you are. So thank you so much for taking time in your busy day to come on the show and talk to us about this. Yeah, sure. My pleasure, man. Yeah, we got to get up early and be at the courthouse now because we just never know what's going to go down. <laughs> That's true, man. You never know what's going to, they're going to try to sneak past the press corps. Uh, and we'll get to that. Uh, the, the, what happened on Tuesday, the surprise announcement that charges were dropped in the Smollett case. But let's start at the, at the beginning. Uh, Andy, you've been covering this from the get-go, have you not? You know, I had a hand in some of the coverage early on of the investigation, which, you know, was going on for weeks. And, uh, you know, like everybody else, I was... You know, uh, I think people in Chicago initially might have been a little skeptical, right? Because they said this attack took place, and you're like, man, it was freezing. So All right, let's out. talk about that. Yeah. Attack place, takes place. What's the first uh, part of the story? Go. Yeah, well, I mean, technically the first part, I think, that they mention is that there's a threatening letter that was received at the Empire Studios like a week before this. And then on January 29th, um, Jossie Smollett claims he was coming in, he'd gotten in late on a flight, was going to get a Subway sandwich. I think it was a tuna salad. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 for those of you that uh, don't recall, January 29th was, uh, I think, 20 below, like the coldest <laughs> night of the year. It was very cold, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he's, so he's, uh, he's walking back from uh, Subway, going back to his apartment in Streeterville, and says he gets jumped by two guys who uh, said racial and homophobic Slurs, you know, Jesse Smollett, obviously a, uh, a celebrity, a, an activist, and openly gay and black. Uh, he's he's uh, said they uh, jumped him, punched him, beat him up, uh, strung a like a, a thin rope noose around his neck, uh, and uh, poured bleach on him. Or mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if they ever identified the chemical because I don't think they ever found the bottle. I think that weeks later they found like a Tabasco sauce bottle with uh, bleach in it. Um, goes back to his apartment. I believe, I don't believe he actually made the 911 call, but somebody called 911 about the attack. Um, and then the, uh, this comes out that the celebrity's been attacked on the streets of Chicago, that it's a hate crime, and an investigation ensues, which the city now says cost about $130,000 worth of police overtime as a dozen detectives chase down every lead. Um, you know, for the first two weeks, it appears that uh, this is a hate crime investigation. I think Smollett, uh, two weeks in, as skeptics, uh, you know, are, are, uh, there's some skeptical commentary leaking out of the police department. Online skeptics are starting to voice some conspiracy theories, poke holes in the theory. And again, I think a lot of Chicagoans, uh, not alone thinking, man, that's, I don't really know who Jesse Smollett is. 
would somebody you know stalk him in the wee morning hours of uh in his neighborhood um you know, and when it's 25 below with wind chill. Well, Andy Grimm, you cover uh, the criminal courthouse. You hear every possible defense, every possible accusation, uh, every story, no matter mu- how tall tale it is, from all sides, the cops, the prosecutors, the criminal de- defense lawyers, the defendants themselves. When you first read the story and you saw the details, how did it strike you? Right. Again, I'm thinking those same things that then, you know, and the police from the police department implied to me that they were skeptical as well. Then, like a lot of people, uh, I saw him on Good Morning America. You see that he's tearful, he's outraged. And I thought to myself, um, you know, this guy would have to be awfully stupid to uh, go out and and voice that much outrage. And, And to be honest, I'm I am going to say that, you know, I am willing to um you know, at this point, we, I guess this is the real crisis that our community is in right now. We know, and, and the reason that this is so intriguing is we really don't know all of the evidence that, uh, that the police department collected. And maybe that'll come out now in the context of a civil lawsuit trying to collect money for all that police overtime. But, you know, we, we have seen investigations go off the rails where police are pursuing the, the wrong leads. Uh, clearly, the police were skeptical from the beginning. I we just don't really know because we're never going to see this picked apart in a court of law um, again unless there's this uh, this collection action goes to court. It may happen yet. All right, so uh, uh, he goes public with the the accusations. The police department says they're taking it very seriously. An investigation is launched, and somewhere in the middle of this all, uh, a uh, phone call is made to the state's attorney, Kim Fox. Talk about that. Yeah. So this is around February 1st, day or two after the charges come out. And and again, there's a lot of this skeptical leaks coming out from the police department or law, attributed to law enforcement sources that Jussie Smollett um, was still uh, was still wearing the noose around his neck when police arrived, which would seem a little odd, right? Most people said, hey, I would have snatched that thing off my neck immediately, right? You know, and these are all things that aren't necessarily don't make him complicit in the crime, right? But they keep like, you know, that the Jussie Smollett knew the location of a camera that it turned out didn't capture the attack. You know, once they had gathered all their surveillance footage, the one thing they don't have any footage of is the attack itself. Um, but at any rate, you know, they, there's a, you know, all this is out there. Um, I'm sorry, I forget the question here. What are you? Uh, I'm talking about the co- phone call to right. Kim so, Fox. Okay. So at this point, these leaks are out there, and um, you know, we through a Freedom of Information Act request, um, uh, we got copies of text messages and emails between Tina Chen and Kim Fox, who is the. Well, uh, let me back up because there's a reason you did the FOIA. At it, at some point, Kim Fox, the state's attorney, announces that she's recusing herself from the case. Didn't that happen before you yeah. filed? This it, happened about. It was announced publicly the yeah. day before Jussie Smollett was charged. But um, so to put this. In perspective here, right? The police department is saying he's a victim. He's a victim. They're making public statements. No, no, no. We're investigating this as a uh, that he is a victim. Now their suspects were these two brothers, the uh, Abimbola and uh, Olabinjo uh, Osandero, right? Mm-hmm. Two brothers. I believe their uh, parents are Nigerian immigrants, and they were in Nigeria on a trip. So they're waiting for these guys to get back because they've tracked them down. They have the surveillance video footage that gets these guys, like basically from when they left the house in the morning, going to they have footage of them buying the the hardware that would you know the rope, all this stuff. Um, you know they've got the receipts. Um, 
and they're waiting for these guys to get back, right? That's this is they've isolated their suspects, their persons of interest. They, these guys arrive back, um, and they they're interrogated for 47 hours. And after 48 hours, they pretty much got to charge you or let you go. After 47 hours, these guys uh, start talking, and they implicate Jesse Smollett. They said this was his plan all along. We were supposed to meet up with him, um, and. So at, at some point, I can't remember when these guys actually landed, but around by, the text messages indicate that the last time Kim Fox spoke to, um, she was actually communicating with a relative of Jesse Smollett. So it was around like the 12th or the 13th, at which point Jesse Smollett is still a victim. Uh, you know, he, and what uh, what she had said was that Tina Chen, a, uh, a prominent Democratic fundraiser, Chicago attorney. She served as chief of staff for Michelle Obama, you know, well-known in the political circles in which Kim Fox surely travels, um, reaches out on behalf of a, a mutual or a friend of hers that is a relative of Jussie Smollett's. We don't know which relative, but anyway, so she reaches out um, and there's some text messages indicate there were some phone conversations between both Tina Chen and, and, um, and Kim Fox and Kim Fox and this relative of Smollett's. Kim Fox an interview told me that the conversation was about their concerns about the leaks that are coming out of the police department, which are fueling the skepticism um, about his claims in the attack. And they're concerned about it. I guess they're probably assuming the leaks mean it's not a, uh, a good faith effort by the police to, to, to investigate the crime. And she was trying to get uh, Kim Fox to push this to federal investigators who were investigating this this letter that came a week before the uh, alleged attack. Um there was this letter that was received, and that's a you know using the postal service. That's a federal investigation, trying to push this into you know to have the feds do it. So, according to Kim Fox, she calls. Uh, there's indication that she in those text messages that she talked to Eddie Johnson. Kim Fox said she was trying to get him to you know have the CPD drop this case. Let's move it over. Let the feds handle it. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. Um, but at any rate, at the point these conversations are ongoing, you know she doesn't. Uh, this is all taking place. Um, before, while well, he's still a suspect. She's now, you uh, got a hold of these uh, emails that uh, Kim Fox had exchanged with the relative of Jesse Smollett through a Freedom of Information Act request? Yeah. And I assume everybody. Uh, so, yeah. So the day before he's charged, the public finds out she's recused herself. Um, I think the actual date of the recusal. Let's check that in here. Yeah. See, look at this. I brought my whole file in. No, I like it. The whole file's here. Because I remember reading in the newspapers, probably a story by you, uh, that she recused herself. I'm like, what? And then Anita Alvarez, who was her predecessor as mm -hmm. state's attorney, did some trash talking, I think on Twitter. Don't quote me yeah, on that. But yeah. I think it was Twitter. Like, hey, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Uh, so other people had noticed uh, that Kim Fox recused herself. You, as mm -hmm. our intrepid reporter at the criminal courthouse building, you noticed that this is a little strange. Don't you think it's a little strange? Yeah. No, I mean, and, and, and to, <laughs> she didn't announce it for a week. You know, roughly. So I got the date on the the date yeah. on the email that goes out from Kim Fox to, uh, or actually it's from her uh, chief ethics officer, goes out to all of her top deputies, and it says, uh, "Please note that State's Attorney Kim Fox is recused from the investigation involving victim Jussie Smollett. First Assistant State's Attorney Joe McGatt is serving as acting State's Attorney for this matter. Wow. Thanks, April. Now this is." Um, what date is that? It's the 13th, and he's charged on the 19th, I think. 13th of February. Yeah, 13th of February. Um, yeah, and then so, 
you know, we immediately, we don't find out about this right away. So when we did, you know, I send in a FOIA request, like, you know, uh, you know, looking for like the opinion, you know, if there's a, a memo from the ethics officer, you know, what, what is this about? What was the, and Kim Fox, I guess to her credit, you know, within the, I think it was, may not have been five days, but within the seven days for the FOIA, I, I got the messages and I'm sure everybody in media must have asked for it. Turned out uh, it's maybe they forgot to ask for personal accounts uh, as opposed to, you know, personal communications. And so that's what I got. And so, you know, the, the you know, here's Tina Chen uh, says, hi, Kim, I sent you an email to your work address, I think as well. I wanted to give you a call on behalf of Jesse Smollett and family who I know they have concerns about the investigation. Um, you know, then it looks like they're setting up a phone call. Um, let's see. Um, then you get the text message later that day. Uh, hello, Kim. This is name redacted. Are you available to chat? Tina Chen gave me your number. Hi, are you available? Uh, hi, blank. Are you available in five minutes in the conference? They step out. Um, so they have a conversation. Then um, several hours later, about seven hours later, you have a, hey, uh, this is Kim Fox to the unnamed relative. Spoke to the superintendent earlier. He made the ask, presumably an ask, you know, to the FBI to take over the investigation. Trying to figure out logistics. I'll keep you posted. Um, they have a couple check-ins in the coming days. You know, the the relatives saying, you know, after this, immediately after the hearing that the that they've made the ask to ship this over to the FBI. Says, OMG, this would be a huge victory. <laughs> OMG, and yeah. No guarantees, but I'm trying. I understand. I appreciate the effort. Yeah. Now, Fox again will tell you that she does this for folks all the time. I'm I'm doing some FOIA requests to try and see if that is in fact the case. Um, you know, I talked to legal ethics folks and said, hey, it wouldn't be unusual for the chief law enforcement officer of the county to intervene, uh, you know, uh, or to, to, to question the investigating agencies about the progress of an investigation. Um, you know, uh, this person, you know, Richard Kling, the dean of defense lawyers here in uh, Cook County, you know, said that, yeah, it doesn't seem inappropriate to me. He's like, just, you know, there aren't a lot of folks that have Kim Fox's personal cell number. Um, and, uh, I, I think, uh, he, he said he had it, but, uh, he didn't think a lot of other folks do. <laughs> Just um, wanted you to know, Hey, I got it, but well, uh, I asked him, I okay. said, well, do you have it? And uh, he said, well, I might, you know, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah. uh, I know I don't have it. So, uh, anyway. But anyway, so look at this. It looks like the last communication she has with the family member is on the 13th. Okay. Um, so, and that is the day that you could, so maybe she's calling, say, Hey, we can't talk about this anymore. Mm -hmm. Things have changed. Maybe, yeah. Um, but we, you know, we don't necessarily know the content of this conversation. Now, presumably, Jesse Smollett's defense team would. Yeah. I don't know. Well, in defense of Kim Fox, or to point out her uh, defense, is that uh, at that point, uh, Jesse Smollett was a quote-unquote victim. And so as a result, she was doing everything she could to uh, look out for the needs of a victim because that's presumably what the state's attorney's first interest would be in um you know s taking care of victims exactly and i mean that's her that is her that is the point she's been hitting when asked about this i mean and she uh she did an apology to her on uh, on wednesday and i don't even call it an apology start you know she's out there defending this investigation i think she gave interviews to every local media outlet uh you know and uh, by the time i talked to her like six seven o'clock at night she was she was hoarse and um you know the, 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 yeah. and that is the, the case rounds. she's making yeah she had definitely made the rounds and um uh 
All right, so uh, after there's the switch uh, where Smollett come, come, moves from being a uh, victim uh, to sort of a perpetrator of this hoax, uh, and uh, he is uh, indicted, correct? Uh, well, first he was arrested just on a criminal complaint, mm-hmm. right? Then they brought him back a week or two later for the formal indictment. They, you know, initially it was just one charge. Then the formal indictment was 16 counts, and they charged him for uh, basically every crime that he alleged had been committed against him wow. in conversations with the police officer, the first cop that he talked to, and then for repeating the same claims um, to another officer. So, like, it was like, um, you know, like an aggravated battery. You know, he described an aggravated battery to a cop, one count. He described a, uh, a hate crime to a cop. That's another count. And then he repeats the same thing to another officer, <laughs> different count. You know, his his attorneys at the time told me he sat down with the police two or three times. Um, so maybe there were more charges on the table. But, um, but yeah, 16 counts of disorderly conduct, which is the section of the law that includes, like, making a false report to a police officer or emergency services, you know, call, you know yelling fire in a crowded theater, right? Um, and, yeah, so all of a sudden he becomes a suspect. He's booked into the jail gets out on a on a fairly minimal bond a hundred thousand dollars for disorderly conduct is pretty steep but you know within his means to to put down the ten thousand um he's uh brings in mark garrigus the uh celebrity attorney uh for michael jackson and others he's um who is apparently an unindicted co-conspirator in uh, michael avenatti's uh recent federal indictment uh for extorting money from nike or attempting to extort money from nike so um, but he, you know, he's, he's also, you know, Tom Breen's firm had a had a toe in the water here. I mean, he's got some top flight attorneys. I don't know if he's paying for him or Fox, but he's, you know, they, they are from the start uh, intending to defend this case rigorously. He and, says he's innocent. And say he's innocent. And as they have continued to do, and I can tell you that um, they're, you know, in private conversations with folks in his camp, they are equally uh, strident that he's innocent. Okay. All right. So, um, so this is the situation that exists. Uh, everybody's waiting to see what the next step is. We're slowly, I presume, heading towards some kind of trial. That's, I'm just speaking for myself. It's just a normal citizen. That's where I thought things were. And then Tuesday morning, uh, there is an announcement. So take us, uh, tell us what happened there. Yeah, right. So, and, uh, you know, I've got to admit, I, I'm, a, I'm a listener here. So I know you guys uh, took Josie Smollett to task in a recent episode here. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I, I will say that there is, you know, I always try to give people a fair shake as a guy that covers trials, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say that I, I, th- I don't think this is, I think objectively, this was handled strangely, right? I mean, it, this would be unusual, even in a lower profile case, to some extent. I show up at the courthouse a little before nine, like I usually do on a, on a, on Tuesday, and I see a community activist out front that I know well, Frank Chapman, and I said, "Hey, Frank, aren't you? I'm surprised you're not at this uh, the rally that's supposed to start in a little while downtown uh, at the Daily Center." And he's like, "Well, you know, um, I was told to be here that Jesse Smollett's going to plead out today." 
And I said, no way. <laughs> That's how you found out. Wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, lo and behold, I see some folks from Smollett's camp in the lobby. Um, you know, there happened to be some TV cameras there for, uh, I guess, what they figured the news of the day was going to be some drug case. I asked them who they were there for. They didn't even know the name of the person. So it couldn't have been a huge case, right? Wow. The, but I, you know, completely unaware. This was not on the docket. He was up, I think, in, an, in his case has since been erased from the docket. So you can't see what his dates had been. But I think he was up for like May 6th or May 7th. Um, I think they'd done a little bit of discovery material. Yeah. I think maybe they got the grand jury testimony for the uh, for the brothers. Um, you know, there's all this cloak and dagger too. When the brothers came in, I should mention. I mean, the 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 media attention on this was like nothing I've seen. I mean, it was bigger. It's bigger than R. Kelly. It was bigger than the Van Dyke case. I mean, just a wall of cameras from all over the place. You yeah. know, you, where you get those guys in from, you know, from far-flung bureaus of CNN and <laughs> Fox News, national <laughs> people are all crowded in that little hallway at the yeah. lobby. And, um, you know, so this was, everybody knew this was getting attention here. Um, and you know, I'm sitting there hanging out with this guy, and I'm trying to help him out because I think he's got a bum steer. And uh, and then Jesse Smollett walks in with his little, uh, you know, maybe a half dozen uh, uh, of his entourage, you know, relatives and whatnot. And, um, yeah, so I run up to the courtroom. I, I see uh, the prosecutor that I know is handling his case, uh, Risa Lanier, who's the, one of the top deputies for uh, Kim Fox. I said, like, what's going on? And uh, she said, you yeah, know, I can't tell you. And a few minutes later, I get a call from the state's attorney's office. Um, I guess Smollett's people uh, put out a press release shortly thereafter. You know, I'm typing a story on my laptop in the courtroom, you know, getting ready for this. And, um, you know, I, um, and there it is. I mean, I got the transcript for you. It's four pages long. Hearing took, you know, about five minutes. Um, Jossie Smollett is going to, uh, we, are, we are going to do it the Nolly Pros the case, which is Latin for not pursue, which means they're just dropping the charges. Um, and they reference that they, you know, I'll read it off because, you know, there read wasn't it. really anybody yeah. in there. We had, we had petitioned the court and they hadn't, we had a hearing coming up, right, where we were going to get, um, or we were going to have a hearing on media access to the, uh, to the, to the, future proceedings in the trial we got you know like we're going to be allowed to be in the r kelly case be allowed in the smaller cases people are saying hey yeah we want everybody to see what's going on right so maybe the issue was they didn't want the cameras there i don't know but at any rate this was uh, what was characterized by the defense as an emergency hearing and you know at any time parties to the case can put something on the docket hey we got to get in here there's something important um r kelly for example has got a special hearing up on monday right he's trying to get some new information out there but um yeah so the uh the motion to advance the case comes from the uh, from the prosecution. Um, let's see here. Um, so here we go. Judge, on today's date, the state does have a motion in this case. After reviewing the facts and circumstances of the case, including Mr. Smollett's volunteer service in the community and agreement to forfeit his bond to the city of Chicago, the state's motion in regards to the indictment is to nolly-pross. Um, again, drop the charges. We believe this is this outcome is a just disposition and appropriate resolution of this case. Uh, and I do have an order directing the clerk of the court to release the bond payable to the city of Chicago to be sent directly to the city of Chicago Department of Law. And, uh, you yeah, know, and that wow. was it. Um, and so you had no indication this was coming. Uh, and if you had not bumped into uh, that community activist in the hallway, you wouldn't have been in that courtroom. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, I go up to the courtroom. I see Jesse Smollett. I know what courtroom is in. All these other uh, reporters that are there, you know, they're there for something else. They don't. They, they had maybe hadn't been following the case. My uh, my colleague from the Tribune was, I think, at something downtown. And the, you know, once the press release from the, or the email from the flack for the um, defense team goes out, people start swarming in there. There was a good contingent by the time it happened. Uh, but if they hadn't sent out the flack, hadn't sent out that uh, press release, you would have been the only reporter there. Uh, you know, I th- assume that the camera people might have been like, hey, that's Jussie Smollett. But yeah, right. They don't know oh. what courtroom it's in. So some yeah. of those people did start to show up I and I was the only one in there to start with. And then they started to like trickle up. They must have gone door to door looking in courtrooms. We would have been the biggest scoop for Andy Grimm, the only guy there. Right. I mean, my editors probably wouldn't have believed me. Yeah, um, oh, We don't trust you, Grimm. Yeah. <laughs> it's Grimm's fairy tale. Why doesn't anybody else have this, sorry, right? Sorry. Um, but... Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, but they did verify this. The state's attorney did call and say, hey, this is this. And what they've characterized this as, like, hey, this is legal under uh, the state law that governs governs what's called deferred prosecutions. But if you read that section of the law, you talk to people that work in that building, a a normal deferred prosecution, informal or otherwise. Because I did talk to a guy. There was one, there was a defense lawyer that I know that's in the building all the time, Dave Gager. Uh, works in 26th Street all the time. And as I'm walking out of the courtroom after this, you know, flash hearing, yeah, <laughs> Gay grabs me by the sleeve <laughs> yeah, and, sa- and says, this is some BS. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, starts a little mini rant about like, how am I supposed to tell people uh, to, 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 to take a year on a, on a, on a minor, you know, like good question, Gager. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, like so this guy's just waiting around for his case to be called. He's got a status. He didn't think he's going to witness, you know, the big news of the day. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was the immediate reaction. People were like, you know, I, they, they hadn't seen anything like this. Deferred prosecution, usually, it means they defer your prosecution. There is some admission of guilt. Like, you basically entered a plea mm-hmm. and your case is suspended for, I think the state law might even specify it's got to be like 60 days. It might be six months of essentially probation, keep your nose clean, complete community service. I think the state law um, under the deferred prosecution statute is like 30 hours of community service. And and then there's all these criteria that it's gotta be like a county approved service with, you know, you know, some legit monitoring of like, you know, signing in and stuff. You've gotta, you've gotta do a little something. And, and restitution is a factor there. Like, you know, maybe you wouldn't get 130 grand, but it'd be on your ability to pay. And, you know, the state's attorney's office had, uh, they came, they came out that like a day, that day or the following day that one of the senior officials in the state's attorney's office sent out a mass email to all the supervisors saying, Hey, could you ask around and see if anybody else has had a case similar to this one where we nolly prost a charge in exchange for a little restitution, a little community service. The two cases they had, both of them played out over like a couple months, you know? Yeah. Um, and no, and this was one more time. One of the biggest stories in the country, as you just pointed out. So it's not like a lower level uh, marijuana case where, they, you know, they're um, allowing a defendant to, to completely nonviolent crime to uh, have a break of a, which deservedly so or what have you. Uh, this was the most high profile. Me- President Trump had weighed into into this because it plugged into all the divides, the cultural divides that we're at. And you know as well as I do, we're talking about the MAGA hat and the whole thing. Oh, it's a, it's an irresistible story on so many levels. Yeah. You've got you know race, sexuality, 
Um, you've got Donald Trump's name thrown around in here. You know that it was a, that these guys were saying this was MAGA country. You know, Streeterville <laughs> is MAGA country. Um, uh, and he held on to the subway sandwich. I still can't get over that. He got right. Mo- so yeah, and, and those are the little things we can all yeah. grasp onto, yeah. right? Like everybody that wants to like like look into this little whodunit. You had these goofball brothers that you know got celebrity. All of these things that just make this case just irresistible. Um, it's Never a Coen mind. Brother movie, man. It's a Coen Brother movie. Yeah. Right, right. And so, again, you know, everybody knows this is a big deal. Kim Fox has recused herself from the case. Does that mean like they, I, I don't know. There are ways, talking to some folks that were, that you know, left the office, you know, fairly recently, you know, just talking to them, they're just saying, you know, it just doesn't make sense on a lot of levels. There's just too many rooms to sit, or, or, or too much room in this to, to just you know, point out these little these little things that don't make any sense. As a so Kim Fox has been out saying, "Hey, we do this all the time. We believe in deferred prosecution. This was a low level case that was never going to result in jail time, and we just wanted to resolve it quickly." You know, as a as a principled stand on deferred prosecution, you would think that they would have you know held this case out and and at least sought the 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 platform of this hearing, you know, to come out immediately afterward and say. You know, that's this what happened. And, and I did speak to Joe McGatz, the guy that was supposedly the well, and apparently was the final decision maker in the case. And it's, you know, he referred me to this deferred prosecution statute. I've talked to people that said, like, yeah, you know, I had one. We never really spelled it out. We didn't really do anything, but we had documented community service. But it played out over a longer period of time. And, you know, on paper, you know, these you know, like right now we're fighting over the, whether or not the case file stays sealed. If you've ever looked at a case file in Cook County Court, it's you know, it's pretty hard. You can figure out vaguely what happened, but you can't necessarily figure out the reasons why. Uh, Here, we got nothing in there. She didn't say, we're dropping this case. Because this the circumstances where there'll be like a sudden yeah. nolly pros uh, is usually it's like, yeah, something fell apart. Witness disappeared. Something. They can't prove their case anymore. Nobody said that. They're saying, in fact, the opposite. All right. And then we get to... Uh, <laughs> the uh, the sealing of of evidence and what have you um, talk about that that to seem to your average Chicagoan okay who uh, does not follow this on a regular basis as you do or as those criminal defense lawyers that you were interviewing or even a community activist that goes on to your average Chicagoan that's really fishy sealing a case just like particularly a high profile case. Again, the whole country is watching this. President Trump has tweeted about it. You're going to seal the the case files. They could have, I assume, protested and fought that. I don't. You know, so you look at the, the state, day in that uh, the state, the prosecution could have said, "Yeah, we we opposed that." Right. Um, I don't know that that would have gotten a lot of trouble. So the, the state law had changed last year, and if you think about like the emphasis that people have put on. Um, you know the black mark on your record of having a felony conviction, or all the you know all these arrests and things out in the out in the universe, right? Yeah. Um, so there is a provision for immediate seal of records. You can request it at the hearing, and and the chief judge of the criminal division, the guy that's the top judge over at Twenty Sixth Street, the the criminal court building, yesterday when when we thought there was going when the when the press tried to get in with a motion to stop them from <laughs> sealing the records and destroying the records, yeah. you know, in the in the public interest. Um, the judge says, hey, these guys aren't doing anything that's the, against the law and reads to me uh, from the from the Illinois compiled statutes that these guys can seal this stuff and they can seal it immediately. This is a Judge Martin you're talking judge about. Judge Leroy yeah. Martin Jr., yeah. Um, and um, 
you know, he's like, you know, you guys are, but what Judge Martin also said was these expungements of records, you know, like putting stuff under immediate seal, he can't really do anything. It's in the law. And, and which you're thinking to yourself like, okay, well, if prosecutors walk away from a case or they walk away from the case because their case stinks mm-hmm. and maybe you weren't going to get convicted anyway, yeah, you know, you'd want that off your I record see. and maybe that should happen immediately okay. with no Fair problems, enough. right? right? Yeah. If they, if, cause it also, if you're, it's also, if you're acquitted, mm-hmm. you can get that stuff off. You get, but, um, you know, and if you get it, uh, if you get your case dismissed because you finished a deferred prosecution and you're a nice guy with no priors and you did your community service, made your restitution. Yeah. All right. Okay. You've done your bit. Let's get that off your record. If that's the point, right. To yeah. defer the prosecution. All right. All of these, this is all of the things that I think the judge is considering here that this is, you know, he doesn't want this outcry to get rid of what's probably fairly beneficial for a lot of people. But what Judge Martin did point out was when you make that motion, people, what interested parties can get in involved and say, no, you, you, we don't want you to seal this. We need this record out there. Um, you know, and the, and so that could have been maybe the media, maybe the police department. There's a couple days period where the uh, where the expunged records are visible, so people can say, "Oh no, we should leave this stuff out there, right?" So Jesse Smollett's lawyers say, "Well, we're not seeking expungement, and we don't we don't know if we plan to going forward," which also you know prevents the media from being able to immediately file a motion to unseal the record. So all of this stuff is just sort of like there's no real way for the media to get a toehold. I'm certain that uh, the our, the attorneys representing the Sun Times and other groups are going to get involved to try and unseal the record. But I also don't think there's going to be much in there. Well, oh, I was just about to ask. First of all, I cannot see uh, if if the defense is not arguing that the record be permanently sealed, there's no one's interest to uh, keep it sealed. So you would have to uh, unseal it. If, if the, defen- well, the, the defense isn't arguing, they're arguing they don't want it expunged and like, you know, but when they when they what the judge explained yesterday is when they expunge a record like some places they may destroy them yeah and they in Cook County they impound okay. the evidence and just no one can ever see it uh, so, again unless you now so if okay if the ultimate point of sealing a record uh, sealing a court file is to protect uh, a defendant from being unfairly accused of a crime he didn't commit so he doesn't have to carry this mark around him for this whole rest of his life if that defendant uh, is no longer fighting to keep the case, the, the, the trial, uh, the file sealed, then there's no justification for keeping the file sealed. Well, I think they want it sealed. I mean, they don't want, I mean, it's gone. It's off the court record. At this point, like in the internet age, Jesse Smollett's, um, celebrity, you know, what's the point that's like, it's a, I think this was but fair to say, this is probably what people think about when they think of Justice. That is correct. It'll be the first thing that nah. they sit. You're right. That's another good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, getting this out of the first line of his obituary will require in a pretty amazing life <laughs> going forward, right? So it's not like some ordinary citizen who's been unfairly. This is why the law was created, by the way. The law was created to protect like ordinary citizens get accused of things they didn't do, and they don't want to carry this mark of cane around for the rest of their life. And so it's, it's like turning things on top of their head to use this so quickly to protect a guy that everybody knows he's been accused of this thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's in the records, I'm, I was trying to figure this out. There has been discovery exchanged. So mm-hmm. the grand jury testimony of the brothers, which yeah. is probably pretty ugly uh, for Smollett. I mean, because clearly, I mean, the, the brothers, testimony to me seemed to be most of the case that the police department had. Mm -hmm. So I believe that had been entered into discovery. 
again, I don't really know because the records have been sealed. <laughs> um, have so been if those sealed. records are out yeah. there, that's, you know, that's probably what they want to keep under wraps. Um, and again, it would not be unusual. And my understanding is that the defense met with prosecutors um, in advance of this hearing and that there had been discussions trying to work out some sort of a deferred prosecution deal. Um, you know, that wouldn't be unusual. People come in and then, and, and the defense will say, look, here's the evidence we've got, or here's the problems with your evidence. This yeah. is a dog. Let's start to negotiate from, you know, what we think the flaws are. And if you're really satisfied with your case, they may not budge. Um, but there's nothing untoward or improper about that. I mean, there's a lot of things here that are probably moving along as normal, but this, it was resolved very, very quickly. It was resolved very, very favorably. There's no admission of guilt. And, you know, Jussie Smollett walks out of the courthouse, you know, uh, proclaiming his innocence. Yeah. And uh, his lawyers then go on, like every talk show, doing the same. Um, At the same time, uh, the city of Chicago, the police chief, Mayor Rahm, uh, even Kim Fox are saying that he is not innocent. That the uh, uh, all right. So uh, not lying. Yeah, not notifying the police. Never mind. Not notifying the press is pretty crazy, especially knowing how hot the cops were about this case. I mean, Eddie Johnson, the 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 four page proffer that they put into evidence. You know, the press conference that Eddie Johnson held, like laying out their entire case against Jussie Smollett, was exceptional. I mean, I've I've seen a. a, a Rarely does a bond proffer run for more than, you know, a page or so. Um, they laid out all of this evidence and then to just walk away and not say like necessarily, I mean, he didn't appear to have done significant amounts of community service. We have Operation Push pointing to work that he did on Saturday and Monday, the day before this hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, there, there's been um, statements from Push that they didn't weren't aware that this was considered community service, you know, that... Um, um, he hadn't entered an, uh, you know, there wasn't a formal agreement that he was going to complete any community service. Uh, all right. So, uh, by the way, this if this isn't a testament to the old adage, the uh, 90% of life is showing up. I think uh, Andy Grimm just showing up at the courthouse that day and bumping into that community <laughs> activist proves that. That's all been right. the story of my career. Uh, sure. Just showing up is 90% of the game. All right. Um, so... What's next? What's the next uh, battleground in this uh, saga? Well, all right, we have our president uh, calling, uh, telling he's had the FBI and the Justice Department going to do an investigation of the handling of this case. You know, it's so hard to stay on top of this, but I think there have been some reporting that perhaps that is actually happening. There was a federal investigation of this letter that was sent to him a week beforehand. Um, the media organizations uh, that were trying to keep the uh, records from being expunged, you know, that is going to, I'm sure that is going to morph into some sort of a motion to unseal the records. I mean, we've been pretty successful trying to get records in the Jason Van Dyke, for example. Uh, But again, you know, a lot of that stuff, this, this thing, this is a case file. This is a case that's, you know, less than a month old. Yeah. So there's not going to be much in there. Um, Again, if the discovery materials become available, that would be fascinating. Mm -hmm. But, I'm not entirely sure, you know, the, you know, this is a nolly pros, right? So there is, I guess they could recharge him, but that's 
I can't see that happening. It'd be just you know a, a, another round of bloodletting for the state's attorney's office that uh, for no real gain. Um, you've got the litigation. The city has uh, has basically put the uh, puts has requested Smollett pay the hundred and thirty some thousand dollars worth of police overtime, which could become a civil lawsuit. A collections case. I don't know. It's like when uh, when you don't mow the vacant lot that you own or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, the city pay, charges you for uh, cleaning it up. Unless Smollett says, you know what, I don't need this anymore, and just writes a check for. 130 grand and that ends the case yeah it doesn't seem that way right though they're out there they're they, i think they want to try and clear his name and the city's not letting him do that and he's not letting the city say that he did anything wrong it's 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 pretty fascinating i mean i would i and, and then of course there's kim fox the state's attorney her political feature how do you think she's emerging out of this so far you know um yeah i mean that's the other thing too the timing of this is also falls um you know, right before an election where Kim Fox's political patron and strongest, most powerful supporter, Tony Preckwinkle, is on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how this plays out for the Preckwinkle campaign. Um, Kim Fox has got some time here. I, I've just got to assume there are a lot of people out there that are saying, you know, we've, we've got to run somebody. She's vulnerable. It would all depend, of course, on the person that runs and what they're running on. You know, she ran on a reform platform yeah. of a kinder, gentler justice system. She gets pretty high reviews from the defense bar for just being more reasonable than folks in the past. Those guys that do wrongful conviction cases feel like they've got somebody that'll at least take a good faith look and not try to preserve a prosecution or a conviction at all costs. If, you know, she's done some interesting things. Um, you know, she dropped, uh, in mass, she just, uh, vacated convictions for dozens of people that, uh, were, were basically framed by a police unit that, uh, who's, leadership, both, you know, the, the Ronald Watts cases where these guys were convicted of federal crimes that looked a lot like what people had been claiming for years in their cases. They've, they've dropped a bunch of those cases. I mean, this is definitely a uh, the biggest, darkest, still smoldering black mark on her career. Um, you know, she was clearly, I think, positioning herself for some bigger and better things. You know, she's had some splashy profiles that are, you know, more about her personality and her story, which is what people like to shop when they're looking for higher office than it was about criminal justice reform. Um, you know, that office, you know, I think I think there were a lot of people that weren't buying into, you know, her stance on, you know, uh, letting people out, you know, not seeking the highest possible bond to keep people locked up and stuff. I just don't know. I mean, I think that she's this case has taken so many different 180s and public opinion. Is there another one left? I don't know. That is a good uh, place to end this because. uh I know there'll be many more chapters in this story, and Andy Grimm, the courthouse reporter for the Sun-Times, will be covering them. Andy, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to come talk to us and being patient uh, today, and I really appreciate the great reporting you've done. It's particularly today's story I thought was really excellent. I urge everybody today, it's Friday, uh, check it out. Uh, Smollett case files remain sealed. The actor has not yet sought expungement. It gets into the details of expungement law. I didn't even know about expungement law until I read this story today. So thanks for the good work you've done, Andy. Appreciate yeah. it. All right, that's Andy Grimm. I'm Ben Jarofsky with a bonus from The Ben Jarofsky Show.